Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. This teaching is from the series Game of Thrones, The Reign of David. This series looks at the reign of David in the books of 2 Samuel and 1 Chronicles to learn from David's victories and failures to see how we can walk more closely with Jesus. This morning we're going to be continuing our uh, summer series where we are doing, it's actually part of a larger series, uh, Game of Thrones we've called this, uh, not related in any way to the TV show but going through the history of Israel and the kings. Um, and we're going through 2 Samuel and 1 Chronicles this summer looking at the reign of David. And today we're going to be covering actually 2 Samuel chapter 2 through the early part of chapter 5 rather than reading all of that. Uh, I'm actually going to just read kind of the summary statement at the end, 2 Samuel chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. That'll be there in your booklet and it'll also be up on the screen, but I encourage you, please bring your Bible. Uh, whether you have it on an iPad or your phone or your old school and bring a paper Bible, uh, just so you can follow along because we'll be covering a lot of different texts. So 2 Samuel chapter 5, beginning at verse 1, hear now the words of the sovereign king of the universe. All the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, we are your own flesh and blood. In the past, while Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel on their military campaigns. And the Lord said to you, you will shepherd my people Israel, and you will become their ruler. When all the elders of Israel had come to King David at Hebron, the king made a compact with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned 40 years. In Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months, and in Jerusalem, he reigned over all Israel and Judah 33 years. Uh, this December the 1st is actually going to be 25 years since I became uh, elder and pastor here at Bay Ridge. And that actually, that moment in this December the 1st, 25 years ago, was the culmination of a long process. Many of you may have heard me speak of it before, when I was a young man and I was not raised in the faith, but when I became a Christian when I was 16, shortly thereafter I kind of sensed that God might be calling me to be a pastor, but I came up here to the Naval Academy. It was actually while I was at the academy, uh, one of the few times in my life where I felt like God really clearly spoke to me, I believed he had told me I was going to go into the Marine Corps, get out, come back here, become a pastor uh, in this congregation or a congregation that was planted out of this church and that that was what my future was. And I received that call. I was excited about that. But then, over 12 years later, I was still waiting for that to come to pass. And I can remember the day when I was walking with a friend at work, uh, Perry Anderson. Some of y'all know Perry. And I remember telling him in the hallway, what do you do if you've built your entire adult life around a dream and now you think the dream is wrong? I thought God told me this was going to happen, and now I don't think it's going to happen. It was really a dark time for me. It was a struggle because I thought, I thought I, God had called me to do this, but now I don't think that this is actually going to happen. And if you are honest, 
in the call of God in your life, that's just one of my calls. There were many others, me being a Marine, a husband, a father, a lot of different calls. But some of the calls God's placed in your life, there are moments where it seems like it's not going to happen. You, you thought you knew what God wanted. You thought you were on the right path. And then time after time, turn after turn, thing after thing, you kind of look back and you're like, this is not where I thought I was going to be. This is not what I thought was going to happen. Now, the, the reason I'm thinking about that this week is because of what's going on with King David. In our text today, we see David becoming king of Israel. And I call this king at last, but because the real point of this text is the long path. 2 Samuel 5 is basically saying everything that's gone on from 1 Samuel 16 till now, you've been waiting and waiting and waiting, and it finally comes to pass. So today we want to talk about this issue of what goes on in David's life with the call of God and how that call is accomplished and some of the discouragements that can come in the way and then what that means for you and I as we're trying to hear from God, fulfill His call in our lives, be obedient to him, and how that often looks in our life as well. So let's dive into our text. So David, notice here in 2 Samuel 5, we're reading the end result, which is David being anointed as king of Israel. We're told in verse 3 that the elders of Israel come to David at, at Hebron, and we're told that they make a compact. The NIV translates that word as compact. It's actually the Hebrew word that's usually translated covenant. It's berit. It just means they made a covenant before God, and they said, look, we want you to be king. And David said, okay, I will be king. And they made a covenant with one another before the Lord there at Hebron. And David is then anointed as king over Israel. And the central point in this text I want you to understand is that it is all Israel, because David was already king over Judah at this point. If you notice here in verses 1, 3, and 5, notice three times the word all is used. If you can hit the next screen, Beth. Uh, verses 1, 3, and 5 were told all the tribes of Israel come to David, and all the elders of Israel had come to King David at Hebron, and he reigned over all Israel and Judah. So obviously when it says in verse 1, all the tribes of Israel came to David, it does not mean every single individual Israelite came. They send their elders as representatives, but it's saying all of Israel. That's the point that's going on here. David is finally king. The kingdom is united. And so the process that it began back in the book of Judges, where we began this series a long time ago, where it was 12 tribes, they were, they were disjointed, things weren't together. Uh, they're now together as one unit, and David is king over them. So David, the, the point of this text is that he's king, and he's on his way to a long and successful time. In verse 5, we're told he's going to reign a total of 40 years over Israel. He's beginning that reign. It's a long and successful time of fulfilling God's call. But what I want us to see today is this is the end result of a long process. And the bad news I have for you this morning is that's most often how God works. When we hear the call of God, we think it means this will be done tomorrow. When God says, I'm going to work in the situation in which you find yourself, I think, good, and I'm going to watch it miraculously like the Red Sea parting. And God does do that. Those are called miracles. 
And that's not normally how God works. And we're going to see the same thing in David's life, and it's true in ours. So what I want to see is you can read this text and just say, wow, David's king. But the point of this text is this is the end of a long path to kingship that starts with David, a teenager, and ends with David, a full-grown man. It starts with David being anointed by Saul, and actually his third anointing is when it's finally all fulfilled. So let's dive in and look at that. The the elders come to David, and in this text I want you to notice here, because this kind of adds to what's going on, they give three reasons why David should be their king. And if you notice these three reasons here, they'll say in verse 1, because we're your own flesh and blood. That's reason 1, you're an Israelite. Reason 2, look, even when Saul was king, you're the one who led us. And reason 3, the Lord said, you were to be the king over Israel. So that's the three reasons. Let's take a look at each of these. Number one in verse one, we're the same flesh and blood. Now, you got to remember what's going on here. Saul was killed by the Philistines. And the Philistines are actually, they kind of have Israel under their heel right now. And so what the elders of Israel are saying is, look, we're being oppressed by people who are not even Israelites. You're a fellow Israelite. We would rather have you rule over us Then the Philistines rule over us. David, you are one of us. Why don't you be our ruler? Now, as you follow this story ahead, we're going to see they keep, Benjamin keeps wanting to break off and say, well, you know, originally it was a Benjamite was the king. But in this case, right now, they're saying, you're our flesh and blood. Secondly, in verse 2, they again point out, look, you're the one who led us into battle. David had always led them into battle and was very, very successful. And so if we go back and look, for example, in 1 Samuel 18, 30, David had been fighting the Philistines, who, remember, are now oppressing them, and David was always successful. In 1 Samuel 18, 30, we read, the Philistine commanders continued to go out to battle, and as often as they did, David met with more success than the rest of Saul's officers, and his name became well-known. This was back when David was a young guy. And if you follow 1 Samuel, of course, what happens is Saul doesn't like that David's becoming so popular. He's jealous, and he chases David away. And when David goes away, that's when the Philistines start winning. And it ends with Saul's death. And so the elders start saying, you know, we're thinking back, And the only time we were beating the Philistines, it wasn't Saul winning the battles. It was you who were winning the battles. So since we've got to somehow beat these Philistines, and the whole point of having a king way back when we first got Saul was that he would lead us into battle and win. That's what we said we wanted. You're the guy who's always done that. So why don't you come be king? And then thirdly, almost as an afterthought, they say, oh yeah, and Yahweh said you're supposed to be king. Now, this is really the only reason that matters. I mean, if God said, this is the guy, all the other stuff shouldn't really matter. And they, they admit that, you know, yeah, it was true. We, we've heard the story. Samuel went there all the way back in First uh, Samuel 16. Before there was Goliath, before you served in Saul's court, before you went out and led us into battle, before all of this stuff, Yahweh had already said you were supposed to be the king. And we recognize and do this. God had taken David the shepherd boy and said, you're going to be shepherd over my people. And he had done this through Samuel. And so really the most important reason 
is this last one. But So there's these three reasons. You're of our blood. You're the one who was successful leading us in the battle. And Yahweh's the one who chose you. But you know what's interesting? All three of those reasons have been true for a long time. Nothing's changed. They should have recognized this a long time ago. Consider everything that's passed since David. You remember when Samuel shows up and he checks out all of David's brothers and the Lord keeps telling him, it's not that one, it's not that one. It's not, Don't you have another son? And they're like, well, yeah, we got the runt. He's off with the sheep. Bring him in. And Samuel says, ah, this is the Lord's anointed. And he anoints him. Consider everything that's happened since then. David goes back out to be with the sheep. And he spends time there. His brothers mock him and make fun of him. Then David shows up because nobody will fight Goliath. He strides out to fight Goliath with no armor, no nothing. And he strikes down the Philistine and brings a great victory to Israel. He then goes and serves in Saul's court. And as he serves in Saul's court, initially he's just playing music and kind of being a servant to Saul. Then, as time goes on, he starts leading other people into battle. And he leads Israel's armies into battle. And he not only can defeat the Philistines in one-on-one -on -one combat, he starts beating them and leading the armies to where he becomes the most famous general in all of Israel. And then Saul starts persecuting David because he's jealous. And he tries to kill David multiple times. And you spend chapter after chapter in 1 Samuel with Saul chasing David around all over Israel trying to get him until he finally chases him out of Israel altogether. And David actually has to go live among the Philistines. And so David spends these years being persecuted. And then you come to the end 1 Samuel 31, we've been, we've been rolling for 15 chapters, and David's still not king, and then Saul dies. And what would you expect if you were David and finally Saul is dead? What do you think the next verse is going to read? And everyone rose up and made David king. Well, I got news for you. There's seven more years to go. It's a long time before everyone rises up and makes David king. In fact, what happens is, at first, Judah anoints David as king, but not Israel. So we read in 2 Samuel 5, 5, notice it says, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. And then he reigned over all Israel down in Jerusalem for another 33 years. But there's seven years after the death of Saul. Easy for me to say right now, how hard do you think that was for David? Man, I was sure. I mean, I got through all the other mess. I know it's going to happen now. And in fact, it doesn't happen now. In fact, what really happens is Judah anoints David. The rest of Israel follows one of Saul's sons whose name is Ishbosheth. You can see in 2 Samuel 2 to 4 about this. Now, a little bit, let me point out something that's a little humorous in the Hebrew that you won't get. Ishbosheth's real name is Ishbal which means man of Baal. Who is Baal? Right, the idol god. But the writers change his name to Ishbosheth, which means man of shame. Israel not only doesn't pick David, they pick man of Baal, who's a man of shame. And if you read it, he's a weak leader. So Put yourself in David's place. Wait, wait a minute. I got anointed. 
chosen. I kept winning in battle. Saul tries to kill me. I run away. The whole thing's just gone to pot while I've been gone. Saul is killed, and you still don't pick me. You pick this weak guy whose nickname you all have for him is Man of Shame. And that's still better than me? That's what David's got to be going through. And he sits and he waits. The, and, and even when Ish-bosheth is murdered, it appears they still waited a couple more years before they showed up to David, trying to decide what they were going to do. This entire process took two decades. Two decades from when Samuel comes in and tells the young guy, you're the king. Yahweh anoints you. Notice, he doesn't even say in the future. Yahweh anoints you as king now. And two decades later, seven years, uh, Saul had been dead at least five years and possibly seven years by the time it happens. And even after Ishbosheth is dead, David is still waiting. Now put yourself in his place and be honest. Think about the times in your life when you and I go through this. How difficult do you think it is for David to wait for God's call to be fulfilled? And the entire point in the text is he will not try to press it. In fact, when the men kill Ishbosheth, cut his head off, show up at David's house saying, hey, you're going to reward us. It's like, didn't you hear about what happened when the Amalekites showed up with Saul's stuff? David's not going to reward you for this. He wants to be known that he is innocent. He did not take matters into his own hand. And so the long years between God's promise and call for David, had to, there had to be times of despair that the promise would never be filled. And that had to be mixed with times of David simply having the temptation to reach out and accomplish it himself. You remember not once, but twice, God delivered Saul into David's hand, right there in the cave. And what is everybody around David telling him to do? Oh, you got him. Reach out your hand and strike Saul down. And David says, I'm not doing that. I am not doing that. And then the Amalekite shows up and says, I struck Saul down for you. He's lying, but he says, I struck him down for you. And David says, I'm not party to that. And then Abner is put to death as, a, as the most powerful guy that's working there with Ishbosheth. And David says, I'm not party to that. And then two men kill Ishbosheth in his own bed. And David says, I am not party to that. And he still waits for God's call to be fulfilled. And I got to tell you, that would be hard. I, I would be so tempted to rise up and say, I'm going to make it happen. I mean, Samuel told me it was going to happen. I'm just going to help. God seems to want my help here. Now, let's ask a question. Why did God take so long to do it? I mean, when Samuel anointed David, let's be honest, couldn't God have just struck Saul dead at that moment? Couldn't he have just fast-forwarded the whole tape? Why do we have to go through all of this that I'm describing? Well, there are multiple reasons why God does this. I'm going to run through these real briefly. First, the time between promise and fulfillment allowed time to mature so David could rule well. The fact is David was just a young kid when he got anointed. In Proverbs chapter 20, verse 21, we read, 
An inheritance quickly gained at the beginning will not be blessed at the end. Have you ever seen this in life where somebody is given something that they're just not ready for? And then what happens? I mean, have you read, what happens to most people who win the lottery and suddenly find themselves going from usually not very wealthy to suddenly extremely wealthy? What usually happens to that? It usually ends up being a disaster for those people. And the reason is we're simply not ready for it. And David was young, he was full of faith, and he was developing good character when he was called by God. But years of life and hardship allowed a far greater maturity in David and a wisdom which are necessary if he's going to be a good leader. To put it bluntly, he wasn't ready to be king when he was a teenager. He just wasn't. He was ready to be a shepherd. And then he was ready to fight Goliath in single combat. And then he was ready to serve in Saul's court. And then it had to go on. There had to be maturity. That leads to the second reason, which is the time between the promise and fulfillment allowed time for increasing levels of responsibility. Jesus put it this way in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 16, verse 10. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever's dishonest with very little will be dishonest with much. What's the best way to find out if somebody is ready for a greater level of responsibility? See what they're doing with less responsibility. Because if they're not good with less, adding more onto it's not going to suddenly make them do well. It doesn't work that way. And so David grows in responsibility. When Samuel first comes and gets him, he is a responsible young teenager who can be counted to take care of a few sheep. But that's very different than running a country. And then God entrusts him with the responsibility. He rises up in faith and he strikes down Goliath. But winning in single combat is different than leading an entire army in combat. And so he goes and he serves in Saul's court. And then he leads as a general. And then he gets more and more responsibility. And if there had not been this time of maturing, he would not have been successful as king. In fact, if you go back and read the story, Saul had no such time. Saul was called, anointed in a day, and then the whole thing started crumbling. Thirdly, The time between the promise and fulfillment allowed time for growth in perseverance and character. This might be the point where you want to put your finger in your ears. Romans 5, Paul says this, Not only so, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Not because we're sadomasochists, but because of this. We know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character hope. Here is something you can put in your Jesus promise book that they won't sell you in those. There is no shortcut. Growth in character requires persevering through suffering, difficulty, and disappointment. People don't want to hear that today. I want to faith my way out of it. I got a Bible verse. I want to quote it. I want to get out of it. That has nothing to do with the way God actually works. Growth in character requires perseverance through difficulty and suffering. There is no other way. If you want to grow in 
you know, your ability to, to get stronger. I can tell you from having spent years in a weight room, there's only one way to get to bench press more weight. You have to put more weight on. It's called basically crushing your muscles down to where they realize, I have to learn to bear up to this. And you'll never get better if you don't come under the increasing weight and pressure. The same thing happens with your character and my character. And since true leadership requires character, God in His mercy usually requires significant time between the call and the fulfillment. Because if God in His mercy did not do that, the actual fulfillment of the call would crush the person. It is a mercy of God that he waited so long between David's call and the fulfillment. And it's one of the reasons David does so well for so long. And even then, he's going to get himself in trouble. Okay? And we see it time and again. And so God has a time between promise and fulfillment to allow us to grow and learn what it means to persevere and what it means to have character. A fourth reason. The time between promise and fulfillment allowed time for David to learn to seek God and trust in God's power rather than his own. We see this multiple times in 2 Samuel, a phrase that's similar to this. We're in 2 Samuel 2.1. So right after David's learned that Saul is dead and he's dealt with the Amalekite that brought that news, the very next verse is this. In the course of time, David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go up to one of the towns of Judah? He asked. And the Lord said, Go up. And David asked, where shall I go? To Hebron, the Lord answered. Now I want you to understand, again, there's been all of these years. He now learns that Saul is dead. And notice it says, in the course of time. David didn't immediately jump and run and run into Judah and say, well, I'm here. You all know I was anointed. In the course of time, he waits, he's patient. And what he does is he seeks God first. And he says, God, should I do this? And if so, where should I go? What are you telling me to do? Years of struggle and difficulty had taught David to not rely on his own wisdom and strength, but rather to seek God. How many of you know it's hard when Goliath's laying there dead to believe that you can do nothing on your own? It's really hard. But there is nothing like years and the ups and downs and the victories and the failures to teach you and me that we need God and His strength. Without significant periods of trial and difficulty and, yes, even failure, we tend to overestimate our own abilities and we fail to seek God for wisdom and strength. I have seen this over and over in, in 40 years of walking with Jesus. I start doing well. I stop seeking God. I start trusting in my own strength. Things start falling apart. And then I remember, oh yeah, I need to go back and seek God. But see, that requires again that time. And God uh, teaches and does that. Because you remember once again, Saul got in trouble because he didn't seek Yahweh. He didn't listen to the word of the prophet. David here early on, is consistently seeking God about what to do. In fact, if you read ahead in next week's text, you'll see David consistently defeating the Philistines, but every time, even as he's going into battle, 
against the foe that he's defeated time and time again, we're told David's seeking the Lord about what to do. How do I do this battle? How do I handle this? What's going on here? And God speaks to him and shows him. And as long as David's doing that, he's doing well. And when he stops doing that, David gets himself in trouble. And then the last reason is God often accomplishes his work in stages rather than all at once. We hear the promise that I'm here and I hear I'm going to be all the way over here and we think it's one step, but it's not. There's there's stages along the way. And we see this in David. David had been called to be king in 1 Samuel 16 and Samuel brings out the oil and he anoints them. The same prophet that anointed Saul is doing it and says, The Lord says, you are king, you are shepherd over his people Israel. But then there's another anointing over Judah in 2 Samuel 2, verse 4. David might have thought, well, I'm going to get the whole thing here, but it doesn't happen that way. Part of the promise comes true. The other part, again, still waits another seven years before God does it. And then finally, we come to our text today where there's several, that seven years wasn't just seven years of sitting around twiddling his thumbs. There's fighting, there's struggle between uh, the tribes of Israel. The Philistines are still wanting to come in. There's other neighbors coming in and oppressing. And David's having to deal with all of that, still waiting for God to fulfill the final portion of the promise. So what that all means by the end is The result is that David is a man who is well prepared to be king. In the midst of our text, we see the development happening here in 2 Samuel 3, 36. So in the middle of these chapters, David is responding to a situation. And as the people watch, this is recorded. All the people took note and were pleased. Indeed, everything the king did pleased them. It's speaking in general, I mean, specifically about what had happened with the death of Abner, but they're meaning it to be read as a general statement. The result of all of this difficulty that I've been talking about, all of these things that God is doing is David's acting with wisdom. David's acting with character. David is being given favor by God before the people, and so the people are responding to the leadership of David. His wisdom, his character, his trust in God, refined by years of suffering and waiting were evident to everyone. And they were looking and saying, this isn't a kid anymore. This guy is a mature, reliable guy. I want to follow after him. And so it paved the way for the fulfillment of God's call and promise in David's life. Now that's David. But what does that mean for you and me? How do we apply this when you walk out? Because most of us are not called to be king over Israel, right? But every one of us in here have a call. So what does it mean for us? Well, I want to ask two questions. One's very specific about your individual call, and then one about God's promises in general. And the question is, am I discouraged by the circumstances as I wait for God to fulfill his call and promise in my life? Am I discouraged? Every person in here has callings. In fact, even if you're not a Christian, you have callings from God. All of us. The call I used earlier, sometimes the church has messed this up and act like, well, I got the call. There isn't the call. Every one of us have calls. All of us have multiple calls in our life where God is bringing us into positions of responsibility, authority, care for other people, whatever it is. Husband, wife, work, 
ministry, relationships we have with people, all of those things. And sometimes it seems like those things are not going to be fulfilled. But friend, it had to seem that way to David. What, what if you were sure God had called you to do something and two decades later you're still waiting? And the people prefer the man of shame over you. That is hard. It's easy to become discouraged. I can tell you that's exactly what I began with when I talked about it today, the reason I brought it up. I remember that moment of discouragement and thinking, I gave up my career in the Marine Corps that I liked because I believe God told me to do this. I changed out of a job I liked to a different job because I thought God had told me to do this. And now I think I was wrong. Let me tell you, that is discouraging. And then I actually, in the middle of it, I had a friend who one night ran into me outside of a bookstore and asked me how things were going. And I said, oh, it's going great. And he said, no, no, how are they really going? I said, it's going pretty awful. God doesn't seem to want to talk to me right now. I don't know what the heck's going on. I'd like to leave the church and go somewhere else. And the guy said, well, God woke me up last night, and I spent two hours praying for you in the middle of the night. I said, well, good. Well, maybe he's talking to you because he's not telling me what to do. So he says, I'm going to pray for you, and I'll come back and tell you what he said. So he comes back like a week later. Now, this guy had left our church, and he comes back and said, God said, drink it to the dregs. I said, is there another word? Because I don't like that one. It was discouraging. I mean, discouraging. Linda in the middle had felt like God was saying something about somebody staying, and I was like, get thee behind me. I don't want to hear this. Because it's like the dream is dying. It's like Isaac is bound and on the altar. But I, God said he was the promise, but this does not look like what I thought it was going to look like. So the question is, are you discouraged? Are you doubting? Are you discouraged by the circumstances that you look at? Because friend, what I want to tell you is the same thing David would tell you. God will keep his word. Circumstances do not alter the faithfulness of God. And he is not shocked. He is not surprised. David had no clue two decades awaited him. God knew. David had no clue Saul was going to try and kill him, chase him out, send him among the Philistines. God knew. He had no clue when it all ended. It was still going to be seven more years. God was not surprised by any of that. When you and I are discouraged, we need to understand God is still at work. Does it seem that God's plan for you has been sidetracked? I want to encourage you that he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. His arm has not grown short. He is not old and weak and doddering. The same God who promised is the God who will fulfill. And no one and nothing can stop him. And so if you are discouraged... I want to encourage you to hear God's word to you this morning. He will accomplish his work. He has not forgotten. He will do it. 
But what you and I need to ask ourselves is, am I using this time to prepare for God's call? Because see, what it's easy to do at that point is just say, well, that's it, then I'm just going to kick back in the recliner, eat potato chips and donuts, and watch some useless TV show. And I'll just wait. But see, that's the wrong thing to do. David could have said, I'm not watching sheep anymore. I'm the king. But watching sheep is how you're going to become the king. I'm not sitting here playing a harp for a guy that keeps throwing spears at my head. But God says, but playing a harp for a guy who keeps throwing spears at your head is how I'm making you ready to be the king. I'm not going and hanging out with the Philistines. But God says, this is how I'm making you ready to be the king. Are you and I using the time to prepare for the call? The delay in the fulfillment of God's calling is not a reason to despair. It's a season to prepare. That's what it is. Now, what do you and I want to do? Let's be honest. Don't get religious on me. I despaired. I remember walking down that hallway with Perry and bearing my soul and saying, I think I have screwed this whole thing up. And now I'm old and washed up and the Marine Corps won't even take me back. Despair is right there at the door. But it is not time to despair. It's time to prepare. It's time to say, God's at work. He's doing what he said. And I'm going to be ready so that when it comes, I'm ready to step in and do what God called me to do. Whatever that thing is. So am I letting this time be a season of growth? Am I letting it cause me to seek God and seek His will? You will never go wrong by using whatever discouragement, whatever despair, whatever circumstances press you close to God. 2017 was the most difficult year of my life for a whole bunch of reasons. And I kept having friends ask, how are you doing? And I said, well, the storm is raging I am like in the middle of the worst hurricane ever, but here's the good news. I am clinging to Jesus with everything I got. Probably because I'm afraid if I let go, I'm going under, baby, and that's it. It's all over. Okay? But you know what? Good place to be. Cling to God. How many of you are, we sang that song this morning, It Is Well With My Soul? You know why that guy wrote that song, right? He's over the spot where he had lost his family. And he can still say, but God is with me. And if he is with me, it is well with my soul. That is not a song that says, everything's just always great. It's a song that says, there is no valley deep enough that God will not walk down into it with you. There is no depth from which he will not pull you and me. Are we using the time to seek God? Next question, and then we're going to come to the Lord's table. Am I discouraged regarding the state of our world? Because there's a specific call of God, but God's also made all kinds of promises what's going to happen, how Jesus is going to rule the world. And how many of you know if you look around or if you swipe on your phone and you read the news things, it's not how the whole world is following Jesus. And, and everything is just going from one stage of glory to the next. It's like, oh my God, everybody has lost their mind, right? I mean, we look and we see what the prophet said, and then I look around and I'm like, 
And, but the same thing's been going on in 2 Peter. You can read where Peter says all the people are like, what are you talking about is coming? Look at the world. It's just like it's always been. It's a mess out there. God is not slow in fulfilling his promise, my friends. He will do what he says. When you look around, it may seem like God's plan is derailed. And there is a lot in the Western church right now where it causes seeds of doubt to arise in our hearts because people look and they say, it seems like Christianity is on the eclipse. It seems like the promises of the gospel are not coming true. All the technology, modernity, that that was the thing years ago. Modernity is going to crush the church. Well, I got news for you. The church has never been in better shape. There have never been more believers than there are today. The gospel has never been spreading more quickly than it is today. It is growing in leaps and bounds all over the world. And don't listen to those who tell you otherwise. Our problem is because we, again, we heard God's call, we heard God's promise, and the mistake is I think that all the Christians in the world are going to look like the guy staring back at me out of the mirror, and they don't. The typical Christian today is some five-foot brown-skinned woman, not some goofy-looking old white guy. And that's okay. Jesus did not promise what's going to happen in America. He didn't make promises about Western civilization. What he did say is, the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached as a testimony to every nation. I will draw people from every tribe, every language, every tongue. They will come and worship me, and then I will come back and rule and reign. And that promise is still good. Do not despair. We will eat this meal till he comes. We will worship him till he comes comes. And in the meantime, I will give myself faithfully to raising my children. And now for me, helping with my grandchildren, to being faithful with the people around me, trying to let the Holy Spirit form this sack of sin into something that looks like Jesus Christ. And I will keep letting that happen in me until he comes. Do not give in to despair. Do not give in to discouragement. The gospel is as powerful as it ever was. And God is still hearing. So don't let this be a time of despair. Let it be a time to prepare. And what I mean by that is get in the word of God every day. Draw close to God in prayer every day. It is not a... I will tell you this, our culture is so messed up, if you're trying to get by on your little Jesus injection from Sunday morning, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. You need a lot more than that. Friends, we're already in battle, okay? And the time to prepare for battle is now. It's a little late once the you you know, the thing goes down and it's D-Day and you're hitting the beach thinking I should have stayed awake when we were talking about what we were doing. It's a little bit late. Prepare now. Be ready now. Draw close to God now. Let the Spirit work in you. Tell the gospel to other people because the gospel that is powerful to save you and to save me is also powerful to save your neighbor that might look like they are a million miles from God. That family member that you think there's no hope for them, the gospel is powerful to save. And that's why we gather with the church to be renewed week by week by week until he 
comes. So what we're going to do is we're going to come to the Lord's table. And this is going to be a chance for us to respond. Because again, one of the things that we do as we do this table is we're reminded we do this according to Paul's words until he comes. There's a forward-looking aspect. There is a hanging on, knowing that God is at work. Because I tell you, the thing is, God promised in Genesis 3.15 that what this represents was going to come to pass. And Eve thought it was Cain. And here's the shocker, it wasn't. And it wasn't Abel, and it wasn't Seth, and it wasn't Noah, and it wasn't David, and it wasn't all those generations. But God did fulfill his word until the night that Jesus took the bread and said, I'm going to be broken for you, and everything God has promised will come true. If you're a believer, I invite you to this table this morning. You don't have to be a member of our church. You do need to be a believer in the gospel, and the gospel is very, very simple. You are full of sin, and so am I. And you are deserving of the righteous wrath of God, and so am I. But Jesus Christ has lived in full obedience to God in every thought, word, and deed, worked righteousness for us, bore the wrath of God in our place, and says, I offer you free salvation. And all we're called to do is believe. If you believe that, I invite you, please eat at the Lord's table. If you don't, let it pass and please talk to me afterwards. I'd love to talk with you more about the gospel. For what I received from the Lord Jesus, I pass on to you. On the night he was betrayed, the Lord took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, and he said, this cup is the new covenant of my blood, which is poured out so that your sins may be forgiven. Drink from this, all of you, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, we thank you for this sacrament. Lord, we thank you that this sacrament is a sacrament that sustains our faith as we live between the times, as we look forward to when Jesus comes. Meet us by your Holy Spirit that we might feast and be nourished and strengthened, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to distribute the elements. Again, we have a gluten-free thing. If you uh, eat uh, gluten-free, we have an element. If you just raise your hand, we will bring that to you. Otherwise, when you get the elements, please hold on to them. And I want to encourage you, be open and honest with God. If there's areas where you're discouraged and you're looking around, lay that before God. Talk to God and ask God that he would renew your strength. And then we will take it together in just a couple moments. God, you have told us that our thoughts are not your thoughts and our ways are not your ways. Today, we admit that this is the truth. We are temporal, but you are eternal. We are weak, but you are strong. We are full of sin, but you are holy. We are unfaithful, but you always keep your word.
But Lord, we also recognize that you are different in how you do your work and fulfill your promises. We are impatient and want immediate results, but you are patient to bring about your will. So you promised to send your Son to take our flesh and to work salvation. And Father, many lost hope and began to doubt, but you kept your promise. And because your Son has come, salvation has been offered to us. This morning in taking this bread, we proclaim these things are true and that we believe Jesus is the promised Messiah, our Lord and Savior. Take and eat. Lord Jesus, you came as David's greater son, the true anointed king and Messiah. You were perfectly obedient, and you laid down your life as a sacrifice for our disobedience. Your blood sealed the new covenant, opening to us the kingdom of God. When we had lost all hope, you endured the cross, despising its shame, and are now seated at the right hand of the Father, ruling and reigning over all things for the glory of God and the good of your people. Lord, in taking this cup, we proclaim these things are true and that we believe your blood has washed away all our sin and made us the people of God. Take and drink. Spirit of the living God, you are the Spirit who anointed our Lord Jesus during the days of his earthly ministry. And you are the one poured out upon the church at Pentecost, empowering us to live as the people of God, bearing witness to the whole world that Jesus is Lord of all. Fall upon us today, filling us with joy, peace, and hope until we overflow, spreading these blessings everywhere we go. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus our Lord, for the glory of God and the good of the people you love. And God's people say, Amen. Let's rise together. We're going to close with the word of benediction. I encourage you to receive the blessing of God and to let it encourage you as he fulfills his promises and call in your life. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Go in the peace of God. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.